Hey, Flourishing Grace, good morning. Uh, my name is Josh Nine, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision. For those of you who are maybe tuning in for the very first time, uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. I hope that so far your morning is going well. For those of you who are, who are uh, gathering in our house churches this morning, man, uh, and I hope that it has just been a sweet morning of community and fellowship and worship and communion together uh, with each other and with our Lord. Uh, we're going to dive into the Word together this morning, but before we do, just a few quick announcements. I got some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news first. Good news always uh, first. Um, we are, we've been watching everything that's been going on uh, here locally with COVID-19, and uh, we have been putting off gatherings. We've been starting house church gatherings. We talked about that a lot last week. An email went out this week. Maybe you saw something about it on social media. We are meeting in homes throughout all of uh, Davis County. We have house churches in North Davis County and South Davis County that are gathering every single Sunday. Um, but we're looking out into the distance and in the future, and we have some, some previously planned gatherings that we've kind of like hit pause on, like, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? The first one is our kids' Bible adventure camp uh, coming up in July. Uh, July 20th through the 24th um, was our kids' Bible adventure camp. Um, we have a team from California that came in last year. They're planning on coming in again this year. And we've been saying, man, is this going to happen? Isn't this going to happen? And I'm sure you've been asking the same thing. If you have kids, you've probably been asking the same thing. Um, I want to say this morning, it's happening, all right? We're, we are moving forward. We're planning on doing that. Now, we are going to continue to watch and monitor uh, what's going on with COVID-19. And if we have to make changes, we will make changes. But we are going to move forward uh, cautious, cautiously, as safely as we can. We're going we're gonna to gather uh, a few hundred kids up in this building uh, at the end of July. Uh, kids from our church, other churches, your kids' friends from school. Great opportunity, um, and we're just going to spend a week just, just praising and worshiping our God, teaching these kids uh, about Jesus, and it's going to be an incredible time. We still have that team coming in. Uh, it's going to help us lead it. It's going to be an unbelievable experience, and we are excited um, to kind of see some light at the end of this tunnel, and this is kind of the first thing that we're going to be doing together, um, or at least the first thing that we're announcing that we're doing together as a church. We are really excited about this. We're going to begin, we're going to begin gathering um, in that way. We're going to have all these kids coming to come in here and just have a great time. And like I said, we are going to take uh, extra precautions, making sure everybody's uh, sanitary and um, as safe as possible. It's never safe when you put like 200 kids in a room, never safe. Uh, but we're going to make it uh, as sanitary as possible and make sure that everything is cleaned every day. There's plenty of hand sanitizer. We're just going to do the best we can. Um, but we're just praying that we just, as we watch kind of the numbers in Utah, that things just get better and better and better. And by, by the end of July, we'll be ready to go. So you can sign your kid up for that, flourishinggrace.org slash focus. You'll find all of the information there. But then also, uh, our students had a camp plan this summer. Um, we, we took our students last year to Glorieta, New Mexico, this amazing camp. And unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, that camp has canceled their camps, all of their camps for the summer. Um, so our uh, minister to students, Josh Gardner, has planned um, our own little retreat for the very end of July um, that he's calling uh, uh, 
Summer Jam. Uh, Summer Jam is this thing that Josh is creating. We're bringing in a guest speaker. We're bringing in a guest worship leader. Uh, we're inviting kids from our church, from other surrounding churches. Um, your, your students are welcome to invite their friends to participate in this. Um, it's going to be an incredible weekend for us uh, here at Flourishing Grace for our students. An incredible time. And so that is also moving forward. You can register your kids today. Get all the details at flourishinggrace.org students. You'll find it all there. And uh, if you have any questions about any of that, Josh would, be, would love to answer those questions for you. You can email him. Uh, or if you have questions about our uh, Bible Adventure Camp, you can email uh, our minister to families, Lindsay Spinning. She would love to, to answer your questions on that as well. Super excited to kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel. And we're just praying that man, things continue to go uh, smoothly and that things would, would get better and progress and that we would be able to enter into those gatherings in other gatherings um, with, with an excitement, with a joy and not with fear or trepidation. But we'd be like, we're ready. Let's do this. And so uh, that's coming. Make sure you sign your kid up for that. Um, the second piece of, of, the, of our announcements this morning is a little bit of bad news. Um, and so I just want to kind of enter into a time of prayer uh, in our house churches. And we don't, we don't do this for everybody. Uh, we here at Flourishing Grace, we, we want to be a family. Um, we, we strive uh, for that. Uh, we want to be a family that really truly knows each other, where there's a sense of intimacy and vulnerability and accountability um, right here at Flourishing Grace. And just like every family, we are not perfect, right? Um, every family's got that strange uncle or that distant cousin or that, you know, that person's got those weird views and opinions over there. And uh, your family has that, and so, so do we. I'll let you figure out which one you are uh, later. Uh, but we also have some people here at Flourishing Grace that I would say are um, kind of like those family patriarchs and matriarchs. And um, man, this morning what I want to do is just kind of spend a moment. Um, our, our dear sister in Christ, uh, Pat Zitting, um, took a fall last week. And Pat is, is one of those special people here at Flourishing Grace. Um, just kind of above and beyond for so many years, for so many years, has faithfully, faithfully, faithfully followed the Lord and loved the Lord um, and loved you. And uh, Pat, Pat's in the hospital. Um, it's, it's not good, and it's probably not going to get better. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you in your house church gatherings, or maybe if you're sitting there alone, um, to just pray for Pat, pray for her family, pray for our family, here at Flourishing Grace, um, and just pray that God would give her comfort until he calls her home. Um, and so what I want to do is just, I'm just going to give you a few minutes to pray. If you're in your house church, if you, listen, here's the thing, if, if you have been at Flourishing Grace Church for any period of time at all, she's prayed for you far more than you can begin to imagine she has prayed for you. And so we're going to lift her up together this morning. In your house churches, I just want to encourage you to go ahead and pray out loud. Pray as a group. Pray as a community. If you are watching this kind of alone or maybe just with your family, um, just lift her up uh, in this moment. And then I'll pray. I'll close us in a minute. And then uh, we will dive into the word together. Let's pray for our sister.
Yeah, Father, it's a joy and it's a delight to be able to pray for someone at this stage who is so sure of their salvation, who has unwavering hope. And so we lift these prayers up to you, and I, I just ask you this morning that you would be with our sister, that you would draw her near to yourself, that she would, that she would know that we love her dearly. Pray that you would give her great peace, that you would free her from pain, um, and ultimately I should pray that you would call her home. And we would be people who rejoice in that. Pray this thing in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There we go. Uh, I knew I was going to cry, and I almost, I almost held it together. I almost held it together, um, but not quite. Let's go ahead and let's dive into the word uh, this morning. Uh, we are going to be um, through. We're going to be kind of jumping around a lot this morning in uh, the word. Uh, and so I just want to kind of give you, um, and just real quick, a heads up on, on everything that's going to be happening this morning as we get into the Word. So last week we began this new series, In, in the Presence. And we're going to be sp- talking about, for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about the presence of God, what that means for your life, what that means for my life, what that means for uh, the world around us. And last week we kind of entered into this by just saying, this is, this is God's plan. Like God's plan for your life is his presence. And we really just looked at the beginning and the end of the story. We looked at the Garden of Eden, the creation of all things. Um, and we looked at the end of the story. And what we see in both is this full presence of God. The full presence of God. N- nowhere in the middle do we see the full presence of God. But what I want to do this morning is I, w- I want to kind of take us into the middle of the story. In the beginning, we see God creating all things with his presence at the center of that purpose. Whether you realize it or not, you were created for the presence of God. God created a place for his presence to dwell in a unique and special way. And he created a people to experience that presence. A people to find the fullness of joy there. A people to find pleasures forevermore there. But what happens in the middle of that story is where I want to go today. Um, and as I've been working on today's sermon, uh, the reality is that the, the, in the middle of the story, there's a lot. There's a, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot of ground to cover. And so there's two things that I want to kind of make you aware of. Number one is this. Uh, we're going to move quickly through a lot of scripture this morning. If you're watching this, uh, it'll be up there on the screen. You can follow along just that way. But if you want to follow along in your own Bible, that's fine. You just got to have some fast thumbs this morning. So, so lick those fingers and get them ready because we're going to be moving quick and we're going to be moving through a lot of scripture covering a lot of ground. Um, the second part of this, kind of the second warning for this morning is um, we're not going to get super practical today. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of, uh, of the Bible. We're going to look at a lot of history, and we're only going to scrape the surface of it. Um, but we're going to save the practical stuff kind of beginning next week and through the rest of this series. We must understand kind of the history and kind of see kind of this, this the arc of this narrative that is weaved throughout history and to see God's passion for his presence, to see and to find our role, your role and my role in this narrative, the narrative of his presence. 
And so we love to get practical here at Flourishing Grace. I know that you love uh, a sermon that is, that is practical and kind of applies to your life. Um, I promise you this applies. But we need to root ourselves into what is true. We need to root ourselves into the history to see God's passion for this so that we can begin in the next few weeks to begin to apply this to our lives. And so we're just going to kind of dive into it this morning. All right? Let's, let's go. Um, a brief history of God's manifest presence among his people. Uh, we are going to see this kind of, this picture of victory and, victory and flourishing as God shows up among his people. The first one uh, that we're going to look at, and, and I know there's, there's a lot, there's a lot we could look at, but the, we're going to skip ahead. We're going to look at uh, Abram, whose name is changed to Abraham, um, to kind of see the kind of the beginning of the reweaving of the presence of God, right? So it's all broken in Genesis chapter 3. We talked about it last week, right? In, in the beginning, God creates this cosmos to house, to kind of display, to fill with his presence, to fill with his presence. That's all broken by Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. They hide themselves from his presence. Genesis 3, God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hide themselves from his presence. From that moment, human beings have been hiding themselves from his presence. But God begins to kind of reweave and reconstruct this picture of his presence. Here's what he says to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now listen, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will be with you. And I, and I, be, sorry, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan for the everlasting possession. And I will be there, God. Now, God is saying, hey, I have a plan to begin to, in a small way, but in a far greater way than what's been since Genesis chapter 3, in a small way to begin to reestablish presence. I'm going to be their God. I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. I'm making this promise to you, Abraham, that from you is going to come, come nations, and those nations, I'm going I'm to care for them in a unique and special way. I'm going to be present with them in a unique and special way. And he says this. He says that through his presence, he's going to make them exceedingly fruitful. He wants to be their God for them to be his people. Whenever we see the presence of God show up in Scripture, we see this goodness that flows out of it. 
God says, man, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. The land in which I give you is going to be this, this, this great land. It's going to be so unbelievably good. And there is this correlation between the presence of God, the presence of God, and fruitfulness. The presence of God and human flourishing. But at the same time, at the same time, um, there's something more that you must see. You see, so often when we, if you read a book on the presence of God, or if you, if you try to find books on the presence of God, or blog posts on the presence of God, um, a lot of that comes out of a kind of this camp within Christianity that we would call kind of this health and wealth camp. Because, man, if you can tap into the presence of God, if you can figure out a way to, to tap into the presence of God, I mean, there's, there's so much goodness there, right? The psalmist, we talked about it last week, right? The fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. If you can figure out how to tap into the presence of God, I man, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. But what you must notice time and time again, time and time again, in fact, pretty much every time throughout all of Scripture, when God promises His presence, it doesn't work out the way that you might think it's going to work out. Abraham, from here, goes on and waits 25 years. 25 years. Until the birth of his first son. The birth of his first son. So while we might say, look what happens when God shows up and he gives us his riches and this health and this wealth, this joy and this pleasure. This is actually true. He does. He gives us those things. But what we see with Abraham is it might be 25 years of faithfulness before you ever get a taste of that. And even then, it may be generations later before that promise is fulfilled. It's 25 years before Abraham gives birth or Abraham's wife, Sarah, gives birth to uh, the son Isaac. But these generations and these nations that are promised Abraham, he never sees that. This land that's going to be promised him, he never sees that. He never sees any of that. But God draws near to him in a special way. And then for us to experience the presence of God, we must begin to long for his presence more than we long for the things that his presence may provide us. We must begin to long for his presence more than we long for the things that his presence may provide us. As we're going to see in coming weeks, again and again and again throughout History. We have thousands of years of history of people trying to manipulate the presence of God in order to gain something other than his presence. Mani manipulate the presence of God in order to gain something else. I, I want to get this thing. I want my crops to grow. I want my family to flourish. I want these things, these good things to happen in my life. Right? We must have a hunger for his presence, not for the things that his presence may or may not provide. Moving on, we move fast forward. We're going to fast forward to Moses. And Moses, Exodus 3, 4 through 8. This is the story of the burning bush. Verse 4 reads this way. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals of your feet. For the place which you stand on is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Again, we see this special presence of God. God has come down to bring them out. God has showed up to Moses and said, man, Moses, I want you to go to bring my people through you. I'm going to bring my people out of slavery. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. Again, there's this fruitfulness. There's this promise of land flowing with milk and honey. There's a promise of freedom. There's a promise of, of it being released from the bondage. But what is Moses going to have to go through in order to get people out? Moses will never see that land flowing with milk and honey. He will endure insane hardship. Many, many terrifying moments along the way. Along the way. The promise of presence is not this promise of instant gratification. There there is an endurance that we see must be present in this time. And after God brings his people out of Egypt, so we're going to fast forward again a little bit. Uh, God brings his people out of Egypt, right? Moment Moses leads them uh, through, through the wilderness and uh, the, the, the sea parts, they cross the sea. And so Moses leads them into the wilderness, they're out of Egypt. What's the first thing that God wants? The first thing, so mission accomplished. Pharaoh has, has been, they've been they, Pharaoh has been killed, he's done, right? They're freed. What is, what is the first thing that God wants to do now? I'll give you one guess. Presence. He wants to increase his presence. This is what we see, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they, um, that they take for me a contribution. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet, yarns and fine twilled linens, goat hair, uh, tan ram skins, goat skins, uh, acacia wood, oil for lamps, uh, spices and anointing oil, uh, in the in, and for the fragrant incense, oxen stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. So God saves his people out of the hand of Egypt. He, he leads them out, and the first thing, the first thing he does, he says, I want a greater presence. I want a greater presence. He, he, we see this kind of, this begins all the way back with, with Abram. God says, man, this is the plan. I'm going to increase my presence. We see an increase in his presence. We see more increases in his presence. He comes down to free his people. There's an increase in his presence. He frees his people. Now he says, man, I want an even greater presence. A different type of presence. Here we begin to see a new theme. For the fullness of the glory of God to be manifested in a fallen world, there must be a place of dedicated holiness. In order for his presence to increase, yes, there's times in Scripture where we see God show up. Things like we just saw in the burning bush. But what we're about to see happen in the tabernacle, there must be this kind of dedicated holy place. We see it even with, with Abram, when God shows up to Abram, he says, listen, you must set yourself apart. You must be holy and be blameless. I, I've got something for you, there, there must be an increased holiness here. 
for Moses. Take off your shoes. This is, this is holy ground. But now God says, we're going to build something that's going to be set apart from the rest of the world. We're going to increase holiness, and I'm going to increase my presence. And here's what happens in Exodus 40. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, this tabernacle that they built. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. God is increasing his presence. He wants his people to see his glory. So much so that Moses isn't even able to go in. Like the, the, the glory of God fills this, this new tabernacle in such a way that Moses can't even go in. The priests can't even go in to, to kind of do their thing. Because the glory of the Lord is there. He wants the people to know, I'm your God. And you are my people. And I have flourishing for you. I have something greater for you. Something greater for you. Now we're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward all the way to um, the time of King David. And David longs for that level of presence again. You see, when David becomes king, that level of presence doesn't exist. Um, You fast forward so many years, and God has, has left the tabernacle. The tabernacle is still there. The ark is still there. But during the time of David's reign, I mean, the ark is being moved from here to there. It's being captured and taken by the Philistines. And the presence of God is something that we see David fighting for and fighting for and fighting for and fighting for. And finally, finally, he kind of, kind of gets to the end of his fight. And he says, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, not yet. This is my plan. This is my strategy. This is my Goal. Here's, here's what God says to David in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 12 through 15. He says, when, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He, David's son, your son shall build a house for my name, for my glory, and I will establish your throne over his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the Son of Man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. So David says, I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a permanent structure. No no longer a tent. I want to build a permanent structure. God says, no, not not yet. Not yet. That's for your son, King Solomon. Solomon is the one who's going to build uh, this permanent structure, this temple. Now, if you know anything about King Solomon, King Solomon has everything. Everything. Look at the description of King Solomon from 1 Kings 4. 24 through 31, uh, it reads this way. He, being King Solomon, had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates um, to, from Tipsha to, to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had uh, peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. 
every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon. And for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the, to the place um, where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He, for he was wiser than all other men. Here's what we see from Solomon, just in this short text. If you go on, there's, there's other texts on Solomon. He had, he had exotic animals and concubines, like so many women, so many crazy things. Everything that he set his eyes on, he's like, that looks cool, I want that. And he would just take it. He had everything. But just in this text, we see Solomon had all dominion, verse 24. Complete peace and safety, verses 24 and 25. Unbelievable wealth, 26 through 28. Wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Solomon, some might say, had it all. But what does Solomon not have? What's not in that list? Complete wealth, complete dominion, complete peace and safety, security. Um, unbelievable knowledge and wisdom. What does he not have? The presence of God. And he knows it. Solomon knows he does not have the presence of God for his people. In order for his kingdom to truly flourish, he can have all the wealth. He can have all the, the, the safety and all the security and all the comfort. But in order to truly find flourishing, there must be the presence of God. So in the very next verse, the very next verse from 1 Kings, this is chapter 5, verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, you know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare in which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house for the name and for the glory of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David my father, your son whom I set on the throne in your place shall build a house for my name. Solomon says, I know it's missing. I know it's lacking. A name. The glory of God. The glory of God. We must, we must find a way to increase the presence of God. Uh, all of the riches of the world, they're, they're, not, they're not it. We can give our lives to the pursuit of wealth and comfort and safety and more and more and more. If we just had enough knowledge, Solomon says, no, 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 I have all of that. If we want true flourishing, we must have the presence of God. So Solomon constructs the temple. The next, I don't even know how many chapters, a number of chapters are dedicated to the description of this temple and how it was built. 
And then we see this in chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand and minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Once again, the full presence of God is with his people. In this, in this unique and special way, God's presence is with his people. And it's so often, it is kind of taught mistakenly or maybe even intentionally that this is kind of the pinnacle. The pinnacle of, of God's presence on earth is right, is the temple. It, the temple is what we need in order to experience the presence of God. That's where you're going to find this. You're not going to find this anywhere else. Right? This, this picture of his, of his glory, his name being poured out, this, this smoke, so much that people can't even go in, this, this kind of awe-inspiring presence of God that's in the temple. But that's not true. This is just, this is just part of the story. God's not done yet. When we, when we look at Revelation, there's no temple there. God says, that's not it. This is just like the next stepping stone for my presence. This is just, this is just one more part of the story. There is, there's more to this. God gives us a picture of this more in Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, God says this. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, bringing them up out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God says that I have a better plan. The building of the temple, the construction of the temple, that's, that's not the goal. That's not the end. That's not the pinnacle. That's not even the turning point of the story. That's just, that's just a part of it. That's just a small piece in the progression of the presence of God being rewoven and being restored here on earth. The temple is just, just a little tiny taste of that. There's, there's more. There's, there's more. And here's where we find it. In Matthew 27, um, this is the crucifixion of Christ. At the very end of the crucifixion, Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The curtain in the temple is destroyed. This, this place that housed the Holy of Holies that housed the presence of God, that housed uh, the smoke and the fire. This place, it's, it's decimated. It's ruined. 
At the death of Christ, the temple becomes obsolete. The temple becomes meaningless. At the death of Christ, the physical structure, the brick and mortar of the temple becomes useless. It becomes useless. It is, it is no longer, it is a declaration that God will no longer dwell in a house made by human hands. God will no longer dwell in brick and mortar. That's, that is the end of it because it's the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. God has created a new covenant through Christ. For those who have been cleansed by his blood, washed white as wool, pure as snow. For those who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. For those who have been sprinkled by his blood and made holy. God has a new plan for you. For those of you who have given your life fully to the call of Christ. You've laid down every earthly treasure and said, my treasure is Christ. God has a new plan for you. A new plan for his presence new plan for his presence the temple becoming obsolete the temple becoming meaningless being reduced to nothing other than a shell a building just like this one or the one that you're sitting in right now it's there's nothing special about it it's good news not bad news it's good news because we get to move into the kind of the next step of the plan Paul speaks of this a bunch. First, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Here is the new plan. Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Romans 8, 10, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Galatians 2, 20, I, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Ephesians 3, 16, 19, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his, his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is, being, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Now listen to this. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We could go on all day. Our place in the story. The story's not done. We talked about that last week. There is a time coming when God's presence will once again fill the earth in a, in a unique and special way. But our time, our moment in the story is this one. The temple of God to become the saints in Christ. That those who have given their lives to Christ, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the land, we are now his temple. God's spirit dwells within us. 
of the fullness of the presence of God. That we might be filled with the fullness of his presence. That we might become so filled with the presence of God that we would be like the tabernacle. Unable to even comprehend, unable to even draw near to. In this, in this unbelievable way that the glory of God might exude from us in such a way. This is your place in the story. This is my place in the story. And yet what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that there are moments, as we saw this morning, where the temple or the tabernacle is filled with the smoke and fire and craziness of the presence of God. So much so that people can't even draw near. But there's also a lot of times when it's empty. Just a shell. And there is no presence there. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to wrestle with the question and get a little more practical in all of this and say, okay, is that true for us? Are there times when we are so filled with the presence of God that we can't even begin to fathom it? And other times when there's nothing there. And what, what is it that determines those times? How, how do we find and experience the fullness of the presence of God. If God dwells in us, how do, we, how do we manifest that presence? How do we experience that presence? What does that look like to live a life in the presence of God? This is your role in the story. God is weaving this theme of his presence throughout all of created history. And right now we live in this special time where we're not, we don't have to go to temples built without human hands. We are his temple. We can be his temple. What does it look like to be filled with his presence? That's where we're going to go next week. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you and I just pray that right now in kind of this, this kind of fire hose of information that we would just see this, this thread, this theme of an increasing presence. And that we would know that this is not the end. Something far greater awaits us, a new heaven and a new earth where there is no temple because God Almighty and the Lamb is the temple. You just fill it. That right now we can draw near to you because we are cleansed and we are holy by the blood of Christ. Help us to see the truth. Help us to see your heart for people who would draw near to you for people who would be filled with your presence. Pray these things in your sweet name. Amen. Amen, flourishing grace. We love you. We'll see you guys next Sunday.